Hey there, my name is Mark Canale. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a dad with three kids and I want Peak 40 performance. Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, Register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Mark Bubs. I am your host of the Peak 40 podcast. And today we're talking about one of my most favorite subjects, coffee and caffeine. But before we do, a couple quick announcements. The first, a big thank you to everyone for downloading and subscribing the new Peak 40 podcast. We achieved our goal of cracking that 1,000 downloads for the month, and so we're in the top 20% of all podcasts out there, which is pretty darn good for a new podcast. So thank you very much for that. Also excited to announce our new Peak 40 Nutrition Online course is now live. So if you'd like an accompaniment to the book, a roadmap to be able to guide you over a 12-week period of how to integrate and build these habits so that you can achieve that peak 40 weight loss, health, or performance, then head over to drbubs.com forward slash peak 40, click on the online nutrition course, and you can use the promo code PEAK40NUTRITION, that's PEAK40NUTRITION, to save $50 off the price of the course and for less than a dollar a day, you can set yourself up for success, build the right habits, and achieve those goals that you've been after. Fabulous. Well, listen, let's get on to today's topic of caffeine. Next to water, coffee is the most widely consumed beverage on the planet. 1.6 billion cups per day, which is really uh, absolutely outstanding. Now, the first country to cultivate coffee plants was Yemen, whilst Turkey was actually the first country to roast these green coffee beans to create kawa, or what we know today as coffee. And of course, the stimulant effects of caffeine on the central nervous system have been known for centuries since then, made famous in the 19th century by well-known consumer Honoré de Balzac, who would talk about his sessions with coffee, where he would drink up to 50 cups in a day as he describes in an article called The Pleasures and Pains of Coffee. In this episode here today, we're going to talk about some of the benefits of coffee, some of the health benefits, and of course, some of the potential pitfalls. You can get too much of a good thing, and I'm pretty sure at 50 cups a day, uh, Balzac was getting far too much of it. Now, what about coffee consumption on longevity and health? Well, a recent meta-analysis study of over 40 studies which included almost 4 million subjects, found the lowest relative risk when intakes were 3.5 cups per day of coffee for all-cause mortality, which is death by any cause, and 2 cups per day for cancer mortality. And so in this study, they summarized that a moderate coffee consumption of 2 to 4 cups per day was associated with reduced all-cause and cause-specific mortality compared to not consuming any coffee. Now, the trick here when we look at studies is that one cup of coffee in a scientific study is eight ounces of coffee. If you go to Starbucks and order a grande, that's 16 ounces of coffee. And so for every grande, that's actually two cups in the research. 
Now, the good news, as we see here, is that from a longevity standpoint, if we do get the right amount, we do support overall health. And that's likely to do with the amount of polyphenols, these antioxidants found in coffee. Coffee is a tremendously potent source of antioxidants. In fact, 50% of all the antioxidants in the diets of the general population are consumed from coffee and tea, which makes it a pretty powerful source of polyphenols, antioxidants, and therefore longevity. Now, in this episode, we're going to look at finding the right dose of caffeine. We're going to look at how your genes impact the processing of caffeine, how caffeine impacts you, right? Perhaps you've heard these terms, slow metabolizer, fast metabolizer. And we're also going to look at how it impacts athletic performance. But let's first start with the genetic side. Dr. Nancy Guest from the University of Toronto, who does a lot of research in nutrigenomics, specifically areas around caffeine, the, the genes we carry from person to person impact the speed at which we process caffeine. And of course, that has implications not just for our overall health, but also our athletic performance. So listen to this clip from Nancy Guest, and I will catch you on the other side. Sure. Yeah. Well, caffeine is metabolized or broken down in the liver uh, by the CYP1A2 enzyme, which is part of the P450 uh, enzyme family. And the this enzyme, the CYP1A2, is encoded by the CYP1A2 um, uh, gene. So the activity of this enzyme is influenced by this gene and therefore your genetic variation in this gene. So most of us uh, will have one of three forms of this gene. And depending what form you have, that's going to determine how you respond to caffeine, whether it's uh, in regard to diabetes risk or heart attack risk, or now, of course, uh, we're looking into athletic performance. And as far as uh, slow and fast metabolizers, the time frame looks like it's about maybe four to six hours for a fast metabolizer. And for a slow metabolizer, I think this can be more like eight to 10 hours. However, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel stimulated for 10 hours. It just means that it's still in your body. And this is an important uh, concept because a lot of people feel that they're very fast metabolizers of caffeine because they can have a cup of coffee and go to sleep. But that's not the case because you can still, uh, perhaps that caffeine is leaving your brain quickly and so you're not stimulated and therefore you can sleep. But that caffeine is still circulating in your body for many hours and perhaps having a negative impact uh, to your cardiovascular system, for example. So you don't know if you're a fast or slow metabolizer unless you do the genetic testing. So you can't feel how quickly you metabolize is, is what the point is there. That's, that's a really, really important point. I'll tell you, I get so many patients and even athletes who, you know, almost braggadociously are saying, you know, I can have a, a double... Um, espresso before bed and absolutely no problem falling asleep. And, and like you mentioned, they're kind of using that as proof that they are a fast metabolizer. And also uh, the, the sleeping component is due to the stimulation. And so caffeine is 
uh, an adenosine receptor antagonist. That's how caffeine's working in the brain, where it's blocking your calming effect of adenosine and it's giving you that stimulation effect. And that is what is making you unable to sleep. And so therefore, that's only uh, one uh, component of your body that caffeine is affecting. So the ability to sleep or not is one aspect, but then we have a whole cascade of other things that caffeine is doing in your body unrelated to sleep. And so that's where, you know, these, with regard to performance or health, those are things that we have to dive into a little more deeply when it comes to the research. It's, it's not a matter of, is caffeine giving you a buzz or not? Can you sleep or not? Uh, there's, there's more to that story that we need to investigate. About 50% of the population can safely consume uh, up to four cups a day and have no increased risk uh, of heart attack or high blood pressure. And they actually uh, receive some health benefits. It looks like having more than one cup a day in this in 50% of the population will provide you with some of these health benefits. And perhaps that's due to polyphenols and other antioxidants contained in coffee. But the other 50% of the population, uh, if they consume more than about two cups, or let's say a, a tall, uh, Starbucks coffee, if they consume more than that per day, uh, they do have a higher risk of blood pressure and heart attack. And this research was was done in our lab about a decade ago at, at the University of Toronto. And uh, so it really is important when, when we're looking at whether coffee is good or bad for you, what are, what are the genetics behind it? And so those that do have a higher risk when it comes to heart health are not sort of one out of 10 people or something rare. It's actually 50% of the population. Uh, so that is very significant. In terms of this slow versus quick metabolizer, what are we seeing in athletes? Because we have... we. Most general athletes send out this idea that caffeine's always going to be good for everyone. Now, you know, is that mm -hmm. the case, or can you tell us a little bit about your research there? Sure, yeah. In my research, I found that we had 50% of my population was a fast metabolizer, then about 40% were moderately slow metabolizers. So, again, that's one of those three pairs. Mm -hmm. And then I found that 10%, or it was actually about 8% were uh, ultra slow metabolizers. So even though uh, the rest of the research that's related to uh, kidney function or glucose tolerance or heart attack risk, they tended to combine the two genotypes and classify them as slow metabolizers. But I found a difference in the slow and the ultra slow as far as performance. All right, let's unpack some of Nancy's insights there. One of the key findings here is that genetically, we have fast metabolizers and we have slow metabolizers. And if you're a slow metabolizer of caffeine, that means you're the person who's at risk of consuming too much. And so as Nancy points out, if you're a slow metabolizer and you're consuming excessive amounts of caffeine for you, this can lead to higher blood pressure and a lot of other adverse health effects like you know, anxiety, irritability, restlessness, these types of things. So it's important to get the right dose, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Now on the athletic side of things and her research in endurance athletes, her work was some of the first to show that there is this group called ultra slow metabolizers. So you're very slow at metabolizing caffeine. And this actually has an adverse impact on endurance performance. This is in contrast to what we typically see from caffeine, 
because caffeine typically helps endurance athletes. And in Nancy's work, she found that, again, 50% of individuals had significant benefit in perceived exertion. So the exercise felt easier as well as work capacity. So they're able to do more work. Now, what about on the strength training side of things? In this next clip, you're going to hear from Dr. Eric Helms, who's going to walk us through the benefits of caffeine on resistance training. So when we go to the gym, upper body versus lower body, what is the number we should be aiming for? And you know, can you get too much? So once again, have a listen to this clip and I'll catch you on the other side. You know, caffeine has a number of beneficial effects that are useful to bodybuilders. It suppresses tiredness, which can be very helpful when you're lethargic from dieting um, and have to go train. And at higher dosages, it can improve performance. Uh, typically, this is more consistent in muscular endurance tests, but it also does seem to improve strength at higher doses, just less consistently. And more often, it seems to be in the lower body versus the upper body, uh, which might be because it... I, th I think this is because it's also an analgesic to some degree and training legs is just hard. <laughs> it hurts. hurts, right? Yeah. You know, and um, any recommendations around, obviously when you're pushing that higher end of caffeine and, you know, athletes will feel good in the, in the very short term and, uh, you know, kind of starting to tread that line at that upper end of intakes of adverse symptoms. Is there uh, strategies you have, or do you find your athletes perform fine with, you know, that kind of five to six milligrams per kg? Man, it's crazy because the six milligrams per kg, five to six milligrams per kg is what is consistently the most consistent performance enhancer in the research. But the, the side effects of that and how you feel and the jitteriness and uh, if you take that even after noon sometimes, uh, that, that can really have a profound negative effect on sleep. Uh, and so much of the, the caffeine research is short term. It's, you know, what happened in this crossover study. Exactly. Uh, we had this you know, it doesn't tell you. And how was their sleep, you know, for the last of the three months when they kept doing this? Um, so I think you have to be careful. And um, there's a ton of research now just on showing that we have uh, different levels of responders to caffeine. There's, there's a, we should probably be moving more towards kind of like individual response to caffeine. And so I would say for anyone, you want to start with the lowest effective dose where you can uh, that, that you can you tolerate easily and still feel a boost in your training. Um, so, you know, starting around like that three milligrams per kg and seeing what you get out of that uh, an hour prior to, to maybe your only only your hard training sessions so you can avoid some of the habituation to it uh, is just not a bad idea. And then only going higher if, if there's not a benefit because sometimes I think the uh, then the, the, the potential negatives can, can offset any potential benefits. So what I typically recommend is, um, you know, start around three milligrams per kg an hour before your, your hardest training sessions. So maybe no more than say two or three times per week. So, I mean, you've got four days where you're not taking pre-workout caffeine. Uh, you can still have it in your daily life, you know, uh, a cup of coffee here and there's, that's no problem. Uh, and then as a general rule, try not to go above in any given day, six milligrams per kg. Uh, and then, of course, adjust based on individual results. Um, and I would probably try to do your training sessions, say, before 2 or 3 p.m. on days you're going to take caffeine. All right, let's review some of the tips and insights from Dr. Eric Helms as it relates to caffeine and strength. Now, the sweet spot when we look at dosing is that 3 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day. And so for most people, that's going to be about a couple cups of coffee in a day. Now, Eric is talking about specifically pre-training in relation to some supplements. And so in midlife, we don't really need, if you're not performance-based, 
just having your coffee before you train is, is enough. And what Eric describes is that the biggest bang for our buck is in relation to lower body exercises. It's not going to have that big an effect on the upper body, if any, for some individuals, but on the lower body, it does. Now, I typically recommend people to make the most out of your training sessions to include upper and lower in each session if we're only getting two or three sessions in per week in the busyness and the madness of midlife. And so trying to have those sessions in the morning or midday, if you do want to have some caffeine beforehand, is important because you've now heard it twice from, from Nancy Guest and from now Eric Helms. If we consume too much caffeine or if we consume caffeine too late into the afternoon, it's going to interrupt your sleep and your sleep quality. And that's because the half-life of caffeine, the time it takes for it to drop in your system by half is about six hours up to 10 hours. And so if you're having a cup of coffee at one or two o'clock, that's still gonna be in your system midnight, 2 a.m. in the morning. So again, you don't need to necessarily push those upper limits. Eric talks about five or six milligrams per kilogram body weight for those who are really performance-based. You want to definitely limit that to just a few sessions if you really want to be pushing that upper end. But for the vast majority, it's going to be that three milligrams per kilogram body weight per day, which is about that one to two cups that's going to give us our best bang for our buck. Now, to wrap things up here, if you do like to drink more coffee, well, the good news is you can still get all the polyphenols, all the antioxidants from decaf. Now, the trouble with decaf is historically we have a bit of a bad relationship with taste and processing. And so I'm going to share with you a clip from one of my favorite coffee shops in the world based in Toronto, Pilot Coffee Roasters, all about the processing methods used for the modern decaf. So you can appreciate how it's done. And of course, if you do then want to add a cup or two of decaf to your morning so you can have those three cups, but keep your caffeine to a lesser amount, then that is a great strategy. So have a listen, and we'll wrap up this episode on the other side. Now talk to me about decaf coffee, because I get a lot of questions from clients and athletes around the negative impacts, potentially processing methods that are used with decaf coffee. You know, what methods do you guys use with your decaf? And, you know, is that even something people should consider as a problem with other decafs? Um, I don't think that people should um, shy away from decafs whatsoever if, if they're uh, looking for a decaffeinated coffee. The technology that goes into the decaffeinated process at this point in our history is really impressive. So um, I, uh, I've heard nothing but great things about uh, Mike Strumpf, who's over at Swiss Water Decaf in, in Vancouver. And uh, all the coffees that we use are from the Swiss Water, and they're really prominent in the specialty coffee industry. Um, so there are, um, I think, historically some, some contentious ways of decaffeinating coffee. Gotcha. Um, but the way in which the specialty coffee industry has gone about it um, is quite ingenious and uh, quite safe, and, and I don't think there's any reason to shy away from it. So I'll try and simply explain the sort of process, uh, which is that they take sort of raw green beans and they soak it in, um, in, a, in a sort of vat of water in a way that sort of extracts literally all of the flavor compounds from it. Um, and then it goes through, I think, uh, sort of a carbon-rich filtration system, which just isolates um, the sort of caffeine molecule and then removes it. And then they have a way of uh, removing the caffeine from those cartridges so that they are reusable. Uh, but now you have this sort of uh, green, coffee-rich uh, water solution um, that they will use for processing. So. 
they've produced the green coffee rich solution and now any coffee that they want to decaffeinate they put it into this green coffee rich solution which has you know all the flavor compounds of coffee to their knowledge um minus caffeine yeah and so the caffeine is then drawn out of this new product this new raw green bean put into the solution but the flavor compounds outside of caffeine are retained and so they cycle awesome. out the caffeine in that into that uh, the solution and that new uh, raw green bean has no caffeine but it has all of its inherent flavors maintained all right let's wrap things up for this episode number seven the good the bad the ugly of coffee and caffeine let's start with the good coffee is loaded with antioxidants and 50 percent of all the antioxidants in our diets comes from coffee and tea. And that translates to reduced risk of all-cause mortality, which is death by any cause. And so it does, it is associated with longevity. We also see benefits of caffeine for cognition, memory, physical performance when we're looking at perceived exertion and work capacity. That said, the bad part of coffee is when we exceed the dose that best suits us. And you heard Nancy Guest talk about how your genes will have an impact on whether you're a slow metabolizer and you can't consume as much coffee or you're a fast metabolizer. And for a lot of us, that genetic test is the only way to truly find out. Finally, the ugly part of caffeine is when we really start to exceed that five to six milligrams per kilogram per day. Now we get into anxiety, irritability, insomnia, and a lot of problems just feeling too revved up, too jittery, too edgy. And that can lead to conditions like anxiety or insomnia. And so if you're really pushing that upper edge, it's time to take a closer look at your caffeine intake. And the great news is that if you enjoy coffee, but you do want to reduce your caffeine intake, but you still want to get the benefits of the experience of coffee, you still want the benefits of the polyphenol antioxidants of coffee, then that's when you can shift over to more decafs in your day. Fantastic. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share with your friends, colleagues, subscribe, download, and if you have some time, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, etc. Just a reminder that Peak 40 Nutrition Online Course is now live. You can check that out at drbubs.com forward slash peak40. If you want to get started, you can use the promo code peak40nutrition. That's peak40nutrition to save $50. And again, for less than a dollar a day, you can jump on board that 12-week program and start to build the foundation for your peak 40 health and performance. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you again next Thursday.